Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Joshua Friedman. Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. I'm Joshua Friedman, news editor at Rappaport. On this episode, I was joined by Sonia Esther-Sultani, Rappaport's editor-in-chief, for an enlightening discussion with Melanie Grant, executive director of the Responsible Jewelry Council, the RJC. Melanie took over at the RJC earlier this year. Her predecessor, Iris van der Wecken, left the RJC last year over its handling of the Russia crisis when the organization's rules prevented it from expelling Russian miner Al Rosa. We discussed how the RJC had changed since then and what happened to the companies that cancelled their membership at the time. Melanie also shared other plans for the RJC, such as a new lab-grown standard, and revealed how she uses her limited spare time. Enjoy the episode. I just wanted to actually start by asking Melanie about your time at the RJC so far. You've been in the position as executive director for a few months now, correct? It's six months on Friday. How have those, well, congratulations, and how have those six months been? It's been a phenomenal journey. I'm learning so much. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, it's the same industry. I was on the other side of design and art, and I'm still doing my own thing with writing and curating, but it's a totally different ecosystem on this side. I'm learning a huge amount. It's very political. There's a lot of big personalities. There's a lot of very deep issues that on the surface appear one way, but actually are completely not that. It's meaty. You know, there's definitely a lot to it. And I think a lot more people on the creative side should kind of get involved because we end up with one thing, but then you see the entire journey it takes. It's so much to get to that. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of it. So I definitely have learned a huge amount and I've had a few interesting experiences since I've started, like in collaboration with the GIA and Harvard, we had a summit on responsible jewellery, which was, you know, huge amount of work and trying to bring art, science, technology and the industry together, which was great. I mean, I learned so much just in that one day. So as a person who's obsessed, I'm a geek, basically. I'm a jewellery geek who loves to learn things. It's fascinating as a job. I wanted to know a bit more if you've discovered, if you had access now to places in the jewellery industry that you didn't have access to before as a journalist. For sure. I mean, you get into conversations much earlier. You know, when you're a journalist, you have a question, you ask often the CEO, the creative director, and they have, you know, an answer, which is, sometimes scripted, sometimes not. But you get into the conversations at a sort of deep rooted level of like why things are the way they are. And so, you know, when it comes to say standards or if it comes to being responsible and how you make that happen, especially on the business side, there's so much, there's so many dedicated hardworking people who are experts who often like in the design side where you get the final design and then you get by a certain company, but then you don't often know the 25 people who have actually gone to make that. It's kind of like that on the other side, on this side, where you've got hundreds of people beavering away in conferences, in meetings, trying to work really difficult situations out. And that includes governments, NGOs, trade organizations, magazines, you know, huge amounts of work goes on behind the scenes. I kind of knew it was happening because you could feel that this, whatever was produced is a big thing. But to meet the people doing that granular work has been quite humbling, actually. And, you know, not everyone can be acknowledged in that sense, but I've really been impressed by the dedication, the pure dedication of people in this area. 
So yeah, it's been it's been very inspiring. Melanie, one of the things that you were quoted as saying just after you were appointed was that your first task would be to kind of write up a, a clear definition of what it means to be responsible. Yeah. I'm curious what the outcome of that was. That's how much I knew at the time. So basically the definitions for things I'm finding out are very, very complex and political and there are huge agencies involved. So I thought it would be much simpler. I thought, well, we could come up with a definition, but actually you've got to consult the entire industry and it takes years and everyone has a slightly different view. And we are working on a couple of things at the moment. We're working on a definition of recycled gold and things like that. But, you know, it's a long process. So I think I was a little bit naive thinking I could just sort of come up with something. I'm glad we're actually working on something, but as I'm finding, it's all about collaboration. Like you can't define anything on your own because it has to be industry-wide and that just takes time. I think there's a real willingness to try and nail down some of the definitions because, you know, things change and there's a lot of evolution in the industry, which means that the definition you had 10 years ago has to be evolved every so often. You know, we evolve our standards every five years in a cycle. And I think most people evolve what they're doing every so often. But yeah, definitions, we are working on some things but they're not going to be quick. And talking about evolution, has the RJC already changed in the past six months? Not just because of your impulse, but also because there were a lot of changes happening before you joined. You know, because of the Arosa crisis, a lot of things were happening. So have you seen already this evolution in the past six months to something that is shaping up in a direction that you obviously supported and even more boosting? Yeah, I think it's becoming more diverse. We had a board meeting on the 9th of June. and uh, We voted that we have a new part of our board and you, and they're all quite diverse, which is impressive to me. I think me just being in this position means that other people like me feel they can come into this space and do something interesting. Our team actually are very diverse and that was impressive to me. You know, there's a lot of, you know, three quarters of us are probably women. There's a lot of ethnic diversity. I think we really reflect the industry, you know, now. And I think a couple of people, I went to Antwerp and I had lunch at the Diamond Bourse and a couple of people said to me, we're really pleased that you're a woman. And that really surprised me because, you know, I take it for granted that women are everywhere. But actually when I was there, you know, most people in the Bourse I saw were men. And I think we're still at a place where senior people who are making decisions, a lot of them are still men. There's a lot of women makers, but I think in these types of roles, because they are tough jobs and they take a lot of your time, you know, and the networks are still quite male, I think we still have a way to go. So I feel quite pioneering just being a woman, which I didn't think I'd be saying. And also, you know, in terms of being a black woman, I mean, there are very few people that I see in meetings, high level meetings who are black. You know, and Africa being the place of resources, it would be nice to have a few more black people in the room. So, yeah, we still got a way to go. But I do feel there's willingness, even from the more conservative parts of the industry. I think they just they don't want to be left behind. And I think everyone knows we have to keep moving. Right. And going back to what did happen uh, last year, uh, Melanie, I know it was obviously before your time at the IJC, but there was famously some disagreement about the way that the IJC dealt with the Alrosa situation after the start of the, the Russia Ukraine war. Does the RJC stand by the way responded to that at the time? No, I was thinking about this question and I'm having it less and less in interviews. So I think that's a progression in a way because we're moving into a new era. I think they did learn from it. I think it was, you know, it was tough at the time. At the time, the Articles of Association, which were written in 2005, hadn't really, weren't ready for this kind of problem. And we had a wholesale governance review since then, and we've changed the membership agreement, the articles. We can now expel members, where at the time we couldn't have done, we would have been open to legal action. So, you know, I can't 
it's hard to sit here and say, you know, it should have been something else because I wasn't there. It looked like a painful evolution of something that probably needed to change anyway. And that was a highlight of it. And I think you tend to learn from the things which don't go as well as you want them to rather than everything being perfect. But, um, you know, when I look back, when I started working, say, 25 years ago, you know, women were expected to wear skirts in the office. If your boss put his hand on your knee, you had to kind of laugh it off. You know, they were smoking, you know, like things have changed so much. If I said that to somebody I'm talking to now in their 20s, they think I was crazy. You know, like, what do you mean that your boss said wear a skirt and you had to do it? And so if you just look at that and how far we've come as a society, as a culture in the world, you realise that the things that we do now, you know, the things that happen then will be inconceivable now. So I do think we've moved on in just a couple of years in our understanding of who we are as a company. And I would like to think if any such sort of difficult issue arose now, we'd be a lot more prepared with the articles we have now to deal with it in kind of a swift, decisive way. So, yeah, I do think we've learned from it. Interesting. So are you saying, Melanie, that there's essentially a clause now in the article of association saying that the RGC may expel members? Yeah, if members bring us into disrepute, we can vote as a board and expel them. We didn't have the ability to do that before in the way that would have needed to have been done at the time. So we had to change our, our articles and then we had to change our membership agreement. And these are two things, you know, the articles, I think, only were formally changed at the AGM in June. So they took a long time, as all these things do. So we have to get a lot of consultation and voting going. But yeah, as soon as that happened, we started making changes or instigating the procedure to make changes. Did all members have to sign off on that? Yeah, I mean, the membership agreement, everyone had to agree with that and take part and agree to it. Right. You know, it's an, I think it's a natural evolution as well for us, you know, after being around for, say, 18 years, you know. So I just don't think we can't be shy about things needing an update. And I think what's interesting for me on this side of the industry is this, there is a bit of a blame culture because there's a lot at stake and we have to just keep moving together. And if things aren't working that well, we just deal with them. But we can't, you know, it does have to be a collaborative effort. Talking about collaboration, actually, because since the Russia, we could call it the Russia crisis and what happened at the RGC last year, which precedes you um, becoming the executive director, the Watches and Jury Initiative 2030 was launched in Geneva by some big companies. Do you see them as competitors, as potential colleagues for collaboration? How do you see this new entity that you have 18 years as the RJC and we have this new entity doing a lot about sustainability, having pillars, trying to educate the trade as well, getting more members as it progresses. How do you see the potential collaboration between the two of you? Well, I don't think you can have competition in sustainability. Like even if you have brands and organizations who compete for clients and members and collectors, I think in sustainability, you do have to come together in some way. As I understand it, the Watch and Jewelry Initiative was originally an RJC project that I think was made into something bigger. You know, it's something I think that came from us. I'm glad that they're doing all kinds of interesting things. I don't know exactly. Do you know exactly the purpose of it? I wasn't sure when I looked at it. From what I understood, it's really a way to set standards. So there's going to be, for example, training. So they're going to train the leaders of the organizations to be able then to train down the people through the supply chain, but within an organization first. And I think, you know, they're starting roadshows. I think it really has an educational purpose based on certain compliance criteria. And I think like all nascent organizations, you know, for people from the outside, it's still a little bit less, a lot of 
question mark still about how it works, how the people can be involved and the repercussions on the larger industry. So that's why I think it's interesting to see how it's going to develop as you know, some big companies like Hare Krishna have becoming members, Carti obviously is there. So we're watching this space as industry observers, but I think that as I agree with you, the more people are involved in sustainability and, and training and explaining and educating, that's the benefit of everyone at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all good. You know, education is, is the forefront of, of all of the things we're doing, you know, I suppose we're a certifier, so we have a specific purpose, but we have a lot of educational elements to our toolkits and other things. I think it all comes together, you know, in beneficial ways for the industry and for consumers. So, yeah, I don't have any like personal feelings like about this over any other initiative that's out there. There's some fantastic initiatives out there. I wish everyone well, and I hope I'd love to see more collaboration between all of us. It just comes down to kind of what people's purposes are and how that fits together at the time. We've got some ideas for collaborations going forward. I can't really talk about them now because we're still talking about them, but my personal interest is in sort of diversity, inclusion, and also sort of climate change and where that's going. Because at Harvard, we had a big emphasis on climate change. And I think when you see all the weather spikes and all the craziness going on out there, it's actually one of the things that scares me the most about what's coming and also how the jewellery industry is kind of being slightly positioned as a bit of a fool guy when there's lots of other industries who are, you know, much more. What they're doing is affecting climate change in a much greater way. But I think jewellery often gets, because it's so shiny and beautiful, often sort of gets positioned as, you know, especially in terms of mining as the main culprit. But, you know, it's a much more complex than that. So, yeah, there's a lot to do. And I think the more people get involved, the better. And on the Watching Jewelry Initiative, is, have all the companies and brands that left the RJC last year mm-hmm. over the Russia issue, have they all returned now? Not all of them. I think we've got about 11 that didn't come back. Out of how many? I'd have to check because I have to say I haven't had time to look okay. at these figures, the updated figures. And so... You know, I'd love to go and talk to them all and figure out if they're interested in coming back. Now we've evolved, but, you know, just time. When I came into this job, I'm like, right, I'm going to go and do all these things and have all these chats. And the reality is you just get inundated with, you know, big, complex issues, which I'm also trying to learn about. So, but yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I will say is that we are the busiest we've ever been. We've got, we've now breached 1,700 members and we're growing at a phenomenal pace. And so... One of the challenges for me is to accommodate that growth while, you know, giving everyone as much attention as I can. So, yeah, hopefully the 11 will come back at some point and I'll have time to go and see everyone and, and talk to them about how they feel about us now. And, you know, because things do move on. And one of the things I noticed when I came, I went to like some trade shows and I went to meet members and I've had long chats with people. And even the people who aren't always our biggest fans, they all think we're important. So I feel like I'm a sort of like ambassador in a sense you know that I'm kind of going out talking for lots and lots and lots of brands who really want to do better but it is a time commitment and you do have to really put a lot into it to be certified so I think a lot of what I do is explain how great it can be while helping people understand what they have to do to join but yeah I would love to talk to the 11 to sit down with them and talk about how we've evolved and how we can work together in the future. And one of the things we are doing, which is going to be interesting next year, is we are working on a lab-grown standard, which I hope will be ready next year. So I think we'll see a lot of members who are waiting to join us on that front, because I do think there needs to be a standard for lab-grown, but that's a huge amount of work as well. And some of those companies, I think, do have lab-grown materials too. So 
I think we're evolving and hopefully the people who didn't come back will come back to us and evolve with us. Great. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing updates on that lab-grown standard. You mentioned the, the Kimberley process before. It seems to be going on for years, attempts to change the Kimberley processes, the definition of conflict diamonds, and it never seems to actually happen. Do you think this is something that's essential? And what do you see as the role of the Kimberley process in ensuring responsible, ensuring responsible kind of sourcing at the moment? I think, you know, one of his biggest strengths is consensus that he has to reach, but it's tough. You know, if the four of us sat down and tried to come up with a definition of conflict diamonds, we probably would agree and there's four of us so i don't know how you do that you know with governments who everyone has a very specific approach and agenda but i think it's vital i think we do need to update it and evolve it and i think it needs to widen the definition for sure so that there's a lot more scope for including new types of risk and i think when we talk about due diligence risk is the key you know, we have to be open and, and able to receive new types of risk, which were possibly not there 20 years ago when they started, or their perception of it was different because society's changed. So yeah, I, I would love to see that move on. I don't know how you do it, though. That's the thing. There's a lot of somebody should do this, but like, how can we help that happen? Like as just consumers and people in the industry, maybe we need to come up with some solutions because I'm not sure how any one place is going to do it. It looks so difficult. But yeah, I'd like, I'd love to see that. Do you think consumers are aware of or care about the perceived limitations of the Kimberley process? I don't think consumers do, if I'm honest. I mean, in my writing sort of side, you know, I've never been asked by a consumer or a collector or anyone who buys jewellery about the Kimberley process ever in 25 years. So I think it's an industry, rightly so, an industry concept of like what we're going to do with it. I don't think anyone knows it about it really beyond that, beyond industry. They may have heard of it. I don't think there's an understanding of what it is. I definitely don't think there's an understanding of how hard it's going to be to get to the wider definition. I'm not sure if consumers understand it, if what they would do with that. I mean, you tell me your thoughts on if it became a consumer issue, like how that would get governments do something differently. But I think that people are really trying hard to make it work now. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. And I think it's fine to not know. And I think sometimes where we get into trouble is we think we do know and we don't know. I mean, I just don't know how you move it on. And I'm not an expert in the Kimberley process at all. I probably know as much as the average person. But yeah, I think it's important. So there's still a question mark, I think, for the industry at large about the KP, even the people involved with the KP. I think also have the humility to say it's a very, very tricky question. So we leave the question mark watching this space, but we're watching your space, Melanie. You mentioned the lab grown as a big project in terms of standards for next year. You mentioned climate change, diversity, inclusion. How does that fit into your vision of the RJC and what you're going to implement in terms of concrete either programs, initiatives in the next year, let's say? I kind of want us... We've got to do basic things very well. So we have to create standards which are robust and keep moving um, and serve our members and the industry. So that's the basic thing of who we are. Then I'd love us to pioneer in areas which I personally think are important, like diversity. I'd love us to create some access to opportunity. You know, I'd love us to do possibly some educational programs so that people kind of know that they can come into the industry earlier. Everyone I've ever interviewed who's been a designer wishes they'd known about it earlier. I stumbled across it quite late. You know, I would love that to be more of a consideration. Uh, I think a lot of people find out 
through family businesses. But, you know, I'd love kids to know about it. It's such a brilliant place to be. You know, it's kind of the love of my life jewellery. So I wish I'd known about it when I was 10, not like 35. And so the things that we're kind of working on, I say we're always working on our standards to some degree. And I think we're always trying to simplify and hone how easy it is to be responsible. That's going to take us a while because, you know, some of the things we do are complex. You know, I was in Paris a couple of weeks ago for Couture and there was obviously the riots and it was a very difficult time. And a lot of brands were saying, should they have shown? And I went to go and see some people. And so many people behind the scenes were just kind of like me. You know, they'd found jewellery. They were from humble backgrounds. You know, it wasn't all sort of bourgeoisie versus everyone else. And I'd love to show more people that the industry is for them. And it's totally and utterly it looks shiny and posh from the outside, but actually there's a place for everyone. That would be my dream, that everyone feels included and kind of seen. And that's going to take a bit of work because it can be a little bit impenetrable if you're not from a jewellery background. So I'd love to somehow work on that. I was at a GIA careers fair on Friday talking to people who are wanting to join the industry but aren't in yet. And they were just asking very basic questions, you know, like, what is it? How do I even start a collection or how do I even start in a workshop? I'd love more access to workshops for people. I just love it to be a bit more transparent, not just on the responsible side, but just how you access the industry generally. And so I suppose in my mind, I'm here to bring the trade side and the consumer side together to sort of bridge a gap, really. I would have seen that as a success if I can do that in a meaningful way while I'm here. Good luck with this. I think that's uh, that's a beautiful project. And you know how much we love this idea of creating more access to the industry and bringing people from the outside and bringing people who are not second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation. So embracing this vision as well with you. Yeah, I think it starts with education, but also we have to involve people, make things, you know, like when we had our summit, it was open to everyone. We tried to make the tickets affordable and we just tried to talk about it in different ways. You know, I've just written something for Vanity Fair on one of our members and also one of our board members, Prabhin Patney, who came to the UK from Kenya a long time ago. He's got two stores in Tooting, which is in London. And, you know, I went to see him and we just talked about his life. And he's kind of why we're here in a sense. You know, he's got two stores and he's a family business and he's so passionate and he works so hard and he comes to all the board meetings. He's the first one there. You know, I love that. I love to see that. When I see someone else who loves it as much as I do, we're just geeks. We kind of geek out for hours just talking about stuff. And there are a lot of great people in the industry, but sometimes they don't get the recognition because they're really small. Or on the other side, you've got the big brands who are the face in a lot of ways of the industry and they have a part to play. So I just think everyone's got something to offer, but we have to look at the smaller people as well as the bigger people who don't maybe have as much resources to talk about themselves. And Vanity Fair said, well, we've never featured the RJC before. We don't really know like what it does. And, you know, and now they know. So that's a quite a typical example of I'm trying to sort of push it slightly out of, of its comfort zone and get more people to understand there are great stories we have to tell. Sure. Okay. So um, I know that you um, have, have quite a background in writing. You know, what are your plans for sort of non, non-IJC project in the coming months and years? Well, in the two seconds I get that's not an RJC life. I'm still writing. So I'm still writing for magazines, which is actually great because it's just, it's nice to have a different approach to jewellery in different ways. I've also just written my first cover feature for Vanity Fair on watches featuring Cynthia Erivo, also her life as an actress and some of the really 
pioneering role she's been in. So that was really good fun. And I still write for lots of other magazines. I'm writing some, I think, coming out for Tat there and I'm writing for some country and townhouse and people like that. I like the way you feel your two seconds. <laughs> I work all the time. I mean, some people say to me, like, when did you have any time off? I, I'm a workaholic, luckily. So uh, it's hard. But writing for me, it's my heart. Like whatever else I do, I'll always write. It's who I am. And it's how I understand the world. It's how I express everything I think. So even if I just write on Instagram, you know, it's something I have to do. So I am thinking about, I'm sort of going to write a new book, but it's not going to be for a while because I need some time to do it. And I'm not going to write the whole thing. So I'm going to start working on that soonish, but that won't be for a while. So yeah, it's good to have projects. I've always got writing somewhere in the background. I'm also curating. I've got a show on at the moment at Kensington Palace called Crown to Couture, which is about comparing the red carpet with the Georgian court and looking at sort of, I think, different types of royalty. So you've got Beyonce and you've got Queen Elizabeth II. And I really like that comparison because our idea of who is important and who is influential has changed beyond measure in the last couple of hundred years. So that goes on until October. So I'm really, I'm going to go back and see that again. That was a phenomenal project. I was really pleased to be involved. I was curating the contemporary jewellery part of that. And it starts with jewellery in the jewel room and it, you then dress. So you start with jewellery, which is obviously who doesn't start with jewellery. And then you wear, so you put your undergarments on and you put your gown on and it's the whole evolution of how you dress to be fabulous. And there's some phenomenal pieces, I think like 267 things in that exhibition, huge exhibition. So that's still going on. And I'm going to, I've got something coming up next year, which I haven't really started working on yet, another curation. So yeah, there's always things kind of in the background, you know, to work on creative things. The creativity for me is, as I say, it's like fuel. And for me, it kind of leads, you know, some of the things I'm doing at the RJC are complex and difficult. And, and I look at the results, I look at the art, and I look at how it changes people's lives, and it's all worth it. The art for me is worth all of the difficulty, you know, the Kimberley process. Look at how hard that must be. But yet the result is beauty and art. And, it, you know, look at COVID. It changed. It saved us all, the art. I, without film and books and jewellery in COVID, I would have gone absolutely mad, you know. And sometimes we take it for granted because it's just there. But it is kind of what makes life worth living. And I think jewellery is a big part of that. So sometimes it is tough to get those things to be better or to look at how those things can improve at a base level. But the results are wonderful. Thanks, Melanie, for this. And that, that's inspiring across the board as well. And a reminder that jewelry is art, you know, sometimes because of mass production, we forget. Absolutely is. But actually talking about production, we're also thinking about the small independents and the medium-sized companies that most of them are the members of the RJC. And they're the ones that are needing maybe the most this help from the RJC because they don't have the compliance department. They don't have the chief sustainability officer in-house. So would you have a word of advice for them, for you know those who are listening to this podcast and need something grounded into their practice and how to be a player in this industry? Yeah, I mean, you just got to start. Do something today. Don't put it off. Don't look at the whole thing of it and decide it's too big for you. It's about the small to medium player as much as it's about the big player. Three quarters of our members are SMEs. It can be challenging because you're kind of doing it and you're trying to sort of juggle everything else. But the SMEs are really important. They're the majority of the industry and we need everyone. So I would say just start today. Commit to something, even if it's long term, which you can do. 
and change something in your practice, which is leading to responsible practice. You know, have a goal and start to work on it. Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need a mentor. Maybe you need a business coach. Maybe you just need somebody from a different company to show you how they did it, but you just got to do something because we can't do it without the SMEs. You know, there are things that practical things you can do. You know, you can do some reading. You can buy a Rappaport magazine, for example, or you can come to our website and look at some of our educational tools, which are all free. I think being certified is the end goal because then at least you have the guidance and the actual applications that you know are the right things that you should have done. Sometimes people start and then give up, but like there's no, it's never too late. And you just have to have some kind of plan. I also think there are a lot of free resources out there, but you have to dedicate the time. I would recommend anyone who wants to look into this area, you have to create a mindset where you've decided this is what I'm going to do. And then you have to dedicate, say, half an hour a day to it. You know, it's like meditation. I don't know anyone who does meditation or yoga who regrets it, who regrets that half an hour. Once you've done your meditation or your yoga, do 20 minutes of responsible jewellery, application or education for yourself. Because as I say to lots of people, it's a choice now, but it won't necessarily be one down the line. You know, if we don't make a, a move towards this, governments will do it for us and they will tell us how to do it. And it won't necessarily be how we want us to do it. So we need everyone to do something so that we can regulate ourselves as much as possible and that we can have an input into how it's done. Because consumers now, 40% of young consumers want responsible jewellery of some kind. So if you don't do it, the next generation, when you hand your business to somebody else, they're going to be in a world of pain. So do it for them, if not for yourself. That's very sound advice. Thank you very much, Melanie. And uh, you've also impressed us with how much you managed to handle at the same time. I'd like to thank you, Melanie, for joining us on the podcast. We've definitely discussed some interesting topics and left us with a lot of questions as well. So uh, I really appreciate your insights. Thank you. It's been wonderful. And I'm really pleased to be here and to be part of your ongoing discussion on the industry. I think you're a very important element to how this is going to move forward. So well done to you. <laughs> Thanks, Melanie. Thanks for joining us. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rappaport Diamond podcast. For more discussions, news and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us at rappaport.com. Follow Rappaport Group on Instagram and follow Rappaport on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes. Mm -hmm.